start this one. Renovate and Radiate is here, and uh, this is a series that I have been working on and praying through for a very long time. So excited because God is in the business, business of renovating lives, of renovating people, of leading us to a place where we can shine and be who he created us to be. We see it throughout scripture. And, and yeah, we run into stuff here on earth. We run into problems and issues. But at the end of the day, be encouraged that God has something to say about those things. And while it may look on the surface that it's about that, whether it's a broken down wall like we'll see about in Nehemiah or whether we think it's about this, it's actually about hearts and lives that are being renovated so they can be revived and to radiate who he is and what he has for us. And this idea is something that Hollywood has picked up on. They have realized for years that there's a lot of money in the renovation business. Maybe you have a favorite renovation show. Here's a few I picked out. Uh, What's yours, right? Which one do you like? Is it hometown? Is it love it or listed? Is it fixer upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Yeah, I'm hearing some cheers there. I mean, come on, y'all. That one, they have literally renovated Waco, Texas, it's a different place. Pretty amazing what they've done. Property Brothers, they have a new one, I think, uh, that's a celebrity version. And I mean, there's just so many of these. And then the one I grew up with, this old house, right? It started in 1979, and I can remember watching that and realizing, like, I don't have those skills, but that seems really cool. And uh, what is it, right? What is it about those shows that draw us in? And, And I think... I think it's because at some level, soul level even, that it encourages us and gives us hope that something can change, that something can get better, that something, and and that's the business of God and what he does. We're gonna be in the book of Nehemiah the next couple of months. And before we launch in today, I wanna actually set it up. I wanna take you to a moment in Jeremiah 29 where God made a promise to his people. And we're going to start there. So turn with me if you have a Bible or you can read along online on, on the screen to Jeremiah 29, verses 7 through 14. It says, but seek the welfare. The word welfare there in the Hebrew is the word shalom, means peace and wholeness. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years, can you say 70? That's a minute, right? That's a little bit of waiting. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, I love verse 11. It's a great promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is a great promise from God in the middle of any mess and in the middle of any waiting or situation. And then notice what the action item is, what the next step is, verses 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares uh, 
the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, there's that word restore, and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. As you hear that, it's a reminder that there is a God who says, yes, you're going to go through some problems. You're going to go through some stuff. And then I'm going to show up and bring you out of it. And in the meantime, seek the blessing, the shalom of others. Keep living for me. Don't listen to the lies. Listen to the truth. And be people of prayer. Be a people that are calling on me and praying and seeking me for my will. And as we get started on this renovate journey, you need to know that prayer is going to play a critical role in your life if you're going to follow Jesus and in the life of our church. Can I get an amen? Listen to what Jim Cimbala says about prayer. He's a pastor and an author. He says, Satan's main strategy with God's people has always been to whisper, don't call, don't ask. Don't depend on God to do great things. You'll get along just fi- or along fine if you just rely on your cleverness and energy. The truth of the matter is the devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts and credentials, but he knows his kingdom will be damaged when we lift up our hearts to God. Come on, church. So, so God wants us to have a faith that says no matter the problem, no matter the situation, we're gonna call on him. And in the book of Nehemiah, if you'll turn there, we're going to pick up in the first few verses with how that plays out with Nehemiah. And and you need to know some things. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts. He's going to run into broken down walls, a broken down people, and a move of God that is needed. And God's going to use him as a leader to also bring comfort. It's 70 years plus into the journey when we jump into this moment. They've waited There's actually three waves of people that have now come back to Jerusalem. The first was led by a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel led the people back. They began restoring the temple. They began rebuilding. Ezra was wave two. Ezra is the priest. We'll see him later in the book of Nehemiah. And and the book of Ezra parallels Nehemiah. And it's actually Ezra that, that begins to minister to the hearts of the people. Because again, God will use projects, but his real project is always people. It's you and I. Come on, church. So there's Ezra. He's the second wave. And now Nehemiah is going to be the third wave that's coming back into Jerusalem. Now, you need to understand there's some things about this that are interesting. The fact that Nehemiah is in Susa, which we'll see in a minute, which is in modern-day southwest Iran, It's 900 miles from where he's at to where Jerusalem is at. You ever had something that was just out of sight, out of mind? Right? I I mean, what we see here for Nehemiah is he loves and cares at a level that should create a deeper compassion, I think, in us to, to face some of the things that are only God problems. To not put our head in the sand, to not ignore it, but to actually face it. And that's what we see that's so amazing about Nehemiah. 900 miles today, you can fly it. You could probably drive it in a day. But at the end of the day, for them, that would have taken months. And yet he cared. Let's check it out. Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 3. says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekaliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, That would have been November or December, if that matters to you. That's the time of year. In the 20th year, 
as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hannah and I, one of my brothers, and I'll, I'll just tell you, scholars believe, many scholars believe that it was actually one of his literal brothers. So he says, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. They are facing failure, their own, the failure of their rebuilding project. It was actually stopped in the book of Ezra by the king at the time. And so here's him willing to face the God problems. If you have notes and you're taking notes, God's people will experience problems as we walk out his plans. You see, he never promised that there won't be problems. In fact, in many ways, he said the opposite. And we need to recognize, like, maybe if you're like me, you can recognize, like, you got some problems in your life. Anybody? Don't, don't leave me up here as lonely as I was in the nine o'clock, okay? Like, you need to talk back to me, okay? Like, life is filled with problems. And, and for them, it was the broken down walls that were not protecting the temple, that were not protecting the people, but if we're honest, we've got some broken down walls in our lives, right? We've got things that need God's hand and God's help. And, and you need to know, look, God never said we wouldn't have problems. In fact, in many ways, he, he kind of says the opposite. That, let me read to you John 16, verse 33. It says, I have said these things, this is Jesus. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have Tribulation, y'all, we're gonna have some problems. But take heart, I have overcome the world, he says. So that's the victory that we operate from in Jesus, is that we overcome the problems that we face with who he is and with his help. And somehow, some way, Nehemiah was going to experience that and there's a lot we can learn from his life. If you're taking notes, solving God-sized problems takes people willing to ask the loving question, face reality, and then take action. You see, what he did was he asked his brother, hey, those people that I don't really need to be concerned about that are 900 miles away, and I'm the king's cupbearer, we'll see that in verse 11, I'm in a place of privilege, I'm in a place of power, but I'm gonna care enough to ask the loving question, how are they doing? As he asks that question, he has to face reality. He, he has to face the reality that the walls are broken down, they're suffering, they're not in a position to radiate and to honor God in the way that God had intended, that God had even promised. You ever just wanted to ignore reality? Some of you are really good at this, right? Like, you know how to avoid those bank account statements, Right, You know how to avoid asking the question. In fact, you know how to avoid getting asked the question. We've gotta be willing to face reality and to ask that loving question. And then I love what he does. He takes action. And we're gonna see in a minute what that action looked like. But I wanna call you to action right now on a couple of things and highlight some things that are gonna be happening and available during this series. Uh, as we put up this slide, I'm going to ask that you just humor me, pull out your phone, act as if you're actually doing this. I hope you are. That's between you and the Lord. 
Okay, there's a QR code there that's going to lead you to all three of these items. These three items, the first is Ramsey Plus that I talked about earlier in the service. It's absolutely free. It's designed for you to not waste the church's money, learn how to use God's money, but then also you can share it with others. Okay? Secondly is our facility life cycle plan. Last summer, we hired a consulting company that did a complete life cycle plan of our church. It's 22 years old. Y'all, we're blessed with this facility and property. Can I get an amen? Okay, but it's 22 years old and there's some walls not literally falling down, but there's some things breaking and a lot of deferred maintenance issues. Some of you are gonna be tempted to put your head in the sand and not face reality. I'm inviting all of us to read it. Now, for some of you, this is bathroom reading. I don't care if you read it on the toilet. I'm just asking that you read it and begin praying over our life cycle facility plan. We believe God will mobilize people that will be a part of the solution, amen? Just like he did with Nehemiah and the people there. The third thing is the Renovate and Radiate booklet. We've created a discipleship tool that has one exercise every week that follows the Sunday sermon. This week, what you're gonna learn about is prayer, and so the, the actual exercise is called drive-by prayer. We have a route created that leaves pathway and goes around the Treasure Coast to a number of different sites to begin to pray and to face a reality that is we have a community that needs Jesus and we need to have his eyes, his heart, his ears to pay attention to how he wants us to be a part of the solution. Amen? So encourage you to grab those three. Now, Nehemiah did that. And what we see is his action led him into God's presence. God problems are meant for God's presence. Let me repeat that. God's, God problems, things that we face, will find solutions and answers in the power of God in his presence. That's what Nehemiah demonstrates and shows. So here's actually what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into God's presence right now with our problems. We're gonna pause the message the band is up here for a reason. It wasn't just to look cute. Don't they look good? It wasn't just to look good. They're gonna lead us into a time of praise and worship and being in God's presence. And I wanna encourage you to get gut level honest, face reality with God. Maybe you have some things that are problems that you need to bring into his presence right now. If you come forward, we'll pray with you up here. There's prayer partners that would love to pray with you but maybe it's right in your seat or online that you're praising and worshiping, that we're bringing our problems into his presence. Now, you may be on a mountaintop and you may not have any problems and we praise God for that. You know what I want you to do? Pray for your neighbor because they got some problems. Don't look at them right now. Pray for your church because we got some problems that we need God to do something about. Amen? So if you'll stand, if you're able, I'm gonna pray us into this time of just entering into his presence. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you that you are faithful and able. You are worthy of our praise, that we can bring everything into your presence. I thank you that, Father, God problems literally are meant for your presence. And Nehemiah lived that. He came into your presence before he ever took action. So I pray, God, that this moment would just be met as it was in first service, again now, with your presence and power showing up 
in a people that are learning to bring every problem to the foot of the throne. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you for your presence. We fix our eyes on you. Nothing is impossible with you. Every problem in your presence will find a solution. Forgive us for trying to fix everything without first going to you. You are the one that has the plan and can fix it. So God, we just speak life over each and every person, over whatever their broken walls or situations or problems might be. We believe that you can bring restoration, that you can renovate, you can restore, you can heal. God, we believe you can do it as a church body, as for our family, for our facility, for all of the things that ultimately are about us radiating your son Jesus throughout the Treasure Coast and beyond. So thank you for moments like these. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the faith that you're imparting deep in our souls that we could follow you and believe for victories because you have overcome. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can be seated. Some of you are like, all right, we're done early. Nope. Nope, nope, we're just getting started. So we are so blessed by a team like this, aren't we? And just what God is doing. And, uh, you know, as you think about God's presence and in the book of Nehemiah, what happens next as he is in God's presence, he prays, he fasts, he takes that burden and God begins to, to take it from him, to give him what he's meant to have and who he's meant to be. We'll see that play out in the weeks ahead. But in that moment, he begins to pray. He begins to cry out passionately to God. And we just came off a 21-day time of prayer and fasting. That was the setup for what I believe he's going to be doing now. Where some of us are going to realize that there are problems we're still facing that God's going to ask us to pray and fast over. That, that you thought it was just in January and God's going to be like, no, nah, you're going to join the church on Wednesdays when they fast. And, and actually, maybe you're going to fast another day because of something you're facing. You see, when we get passionate about prayer, I believe God begins to provide answers. And I want to show you how Nehemiah prayed because there's so much we can learn from it. We're going to pick up his prayer in verse 4. It says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I got to pause right there. God throughout scripture is a covenant keeping God. When every other person and every other promise has failed you, God keeps his word. God keeps his covenant. And Nehemiah recognizes that and says, in the face of problems, I know who you are. You keep your covenant. I know your character. You are full of love and are trustworthy, and I'm going to follow you. That is something to keep in mind and to remember. Verse Six, let your ear be attentive, he says, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But 
if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name, which meant his presence, which would have been in that day and age symbolized by the temple, God's presence among his people. He said, you've promised to make your uh, name great, your name dwell there. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah prays passionately. If you're taking notes, that is the first action step, right? It's God's problems will be solved when our first step is passionate prayer. I don't know what your first step is. I don't know if your first step is to freak out, panic, try to fix it yourself. But Nehemiah shows us that our first step should be passionate prayer. That word passionate is a, a word with a lot of depth and meaning that's often missed in modern America. Passionate is not just I'm excited and energized by my job or what I get to do. I'm passionate. It's actually deeper than that. The root word in the Latin, passio, means to suffer. Jesus' passion week, the week of suffering, meant that he was so passionate that he was willing to both live and die for his conviction and what he knew he needed to do. Passionate prayer means that we are willing to suffer through even facing questions and realities we don't want to face. But we get passionate about prayer because we have nowhere else to go. So let me just ask you this. What is the condition of your prayer life right now? How passionate is it on a scale of one to 10? Because Nehemiah's is up here at 10 and God did something in that. What else does prayer do? Prayer aligns our heart to the heart of God. Passionate prayer moves our heart to align with the heart of God. You see, you can have a plan but it may not be God's plan. And when we begin to take our problems and get aligned to the heart of God, he ultimately has the blueprint. In fact, so much of what Nehemiah would find in prayer was the plan that God had. It would lead to rebuilding of walls and, and homes and lives. And, and some of us need to recognize that God is the master architect and he's got a blueprint. But if you're constantly bringing him the plans, and not aligning to his heart and plan, you're creating for yourself more problems. Prayer aligns us to the heart of God. The other thing it does is prayer is positioning us, bringing us into God's presence in a way that every wrong will be made right. I mean, that's good news for somebody in here who's wondering, when are the wrongs gonna be made right? Here's what I know, God is the, a God that makes wrongs right. He did it on the cross. He does it through the spirit of God and through Jesus. And so when we get passionate about prayer and we begin to pray and fast and we bring our problems, he's going to make those wrongs right. He'll reveal sometimes, as you heard Moses or uh, Nehemiah pray, when we're wrong and need to be made right. And he'll also begin to make the things around us that are wrong, right. So are we depending on our power or God's power, because that's, again, the call to prayer and to fasting. 
Now, Nehemiah, as he's positioning himself here, begins to pray in a way that we can learn a lot from. Uh, It's an acronym some of you are familiar with, PRAY, P-R-I-A-Y. And I'm going to break this down and show you how he did that. In verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah is praising God. Maybe you caught it, but not only does he say you're a covenant-keeping God and you're faithful and full of love, he's, he's lifting his eyes and praising God. And I don't know what your first move is in prayer, but I know more times than not, historically, mine hasn't been to praise. Anybody else? You kind of come to God with the problem first and forget who you're praying to? And so there's a, a moment where we go, okay, Nehemiah praised God because he, we're praying and interacting with the Holy One, the Creator, the One who is sovereign, who is powerful, who is able to do something. So you want to change your prayer life and be passionate, start with praise. And if you're sitting here going, well, I got nothing to praise about. Are you kidding me? You're breathing. You woke up today. That's something to be praising God and thankful for. And, and, you know, what did Jesus do for you? I mean, Jesus came and lived and died for you, for your sins. He sacrificed himself. How much does he love you? And maybe you've forgotten how good the gospel is and how great Jesus' gift to you is. Well, that's a pretty good place to praise no matter what the storm is, no matter what the problem is. So we begin with praise just like Nehemiah. Secondly is repent. Can you say repent? Man, we don't like that word in modern America. Right? We don't like it in the church even. But the, the reality is throughout scripture, there's something God does when we repent. And repent means we acknowledge our sin and stuff and we turn to God to get free of it and go a new way. Repentance is a confessing and a turning. And that's what Nehemiah did. He says, hey, there's been generations that haven't followed you faithfully. There have been people that haven't lived and obeyed your statutes. They have sinned. We have sinned. So what does it look like for us to to get over our pride? To actually begin to praise and then repent and to bring things in front of God that, that then I believe he honors and begins to open himself. And that's the A, the next couple of verses, maybe he caught it, he appeals to God's promise. He says, hey, you told us this, I'm asking that you would be faithful to your promise. Some of us, all we do is ask in prayer, and I think the praise and repenting coming first leads to a different kind of ask. And, and part of what we need to do when we ask is to to believe that our prayers are meant for more than just our life. You see, God has left you here on earth for a reason. And a great question is, that I wanna ask you, is when you look at your own prayer life, if God answered all the things you're asking for, would it just change your world? Or would it change our world? You see, there's a big difference. If all we're asking for is things that affect us, we're missing out on the power of prayer, the heart of God, and what it means to ask for things that will actually change the world around us. Church, I believe God wants to call us to bolder and greater prayers that are aligned to his heart and to his plans. He has us here for a reason. So we praise, we repent, and then we begin to ask, God, would you? Nehemiah does that. 
Nehemiah positions himself in a way that then leads to the why, which is yield. We praise, we repent, we ask, and we yield. It's in verse 11 that we see, he talks about God, give me favor, I'm, I'm going to be positioned before the king. This was not a king that was one of God's people. He was used by God, but he yields to God. And, and for some of us, I mean, we just need to own it for a minute. We're not good at yielding. You, you look at this story and you need to understand, like there's a verse right after this that starts chapter two and it looks like it moved like that, right? And the fact is it took at least four months, maybe five months that Nehemiah had to pray to fast, to continue to show up to work, do his job, faithfully yielded to God, waiting for God to move and to answer his prayer. Anybody else struggle with patience? I mean, come on, y'all, help me out here. I am not patient by nature. Praise God that a fruit of the Spirit is patience. And somehow, some way, God is always teaching me it. I'm one of those people, like, I can't remember the last time I saw the microwave say zero. Anybody else? Like, you click 30 seconds, and before it dings, you're pulling that thing, right? Like, you can't even wait till the microwave gets done. Is it just me? So, so there's a posture that God wants us to have as his people that is yielded to his will even Jesus said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He taught us to pray, Jesus did. May uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a yielding to God's plan and even God's timing. And we see that in the story in life of Nehemiah, how he yielded and waited on God and waited for that door to open and for what God had. And prayer was what positioned him to do that. Listen to what Max Lucado says about prayer. Prayer makes us wait, clears our vision, quiets our heart, and activates our faith. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray in this season for each other, for our church, for our individual lives, for the Treasure Coast and what God wants to do. Now, verse 11, let me read it to you, and we're gonna kind of bring things to a close around this in verse 11. It says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. He was working, doing his job. He was a servant and a cupbearer to the king. What's interesting about that, we'll talk about this throughout the series at different moments. Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a pastor. In fact, Ezra, his contemporary, is the priest. Nehemiah is showing up as a servant in the king's house, doing his job. So, so if you're sitting there online or in person and you're like, yeah, that prayer thing is for Pastor Brian. And, and that prayer thing is for on Sundays. Nehemiah is showing us like, it's all day, every day that we can pray, Amen. that we can go to God, Amen. that we can be in God's spirit and he can use it in a mighty way. And there's something in that that's because of Nehemiah's humility. 
He's saying, give me favor before the king. If you're taking notes, humility will find favor at the king's table. It's actually humility that he demonstrates. It's humility that gives him favor later on. Spoiler alert. We'll look at that next week. He has great favor at the king's table. We just need to recognize that as Americans, we're a pretty prideful people. Ooh, it got quiet. And I'm not saying there isn't anything inherently wrong with having some pride for achievements and blessings and things that you can give God honor and glory for. But when that pride somehow gets on our soul in a way that, that stands in, in, in the face of humility, because you, you need to understand, God's pretty clear throughout scripture. He detests pride. So much so, think of it as like when he tastes pride, he's gonna spit it out. He's gonna spit you and I out if we're full of pride. And so what does it look like for us to, to get humble in this season? Humility admits that I need help, God. I need help with my bank account. I need help with my marriage. My wife is sitting right here. We're doing great, but we've had our moments. Anybody? I guess we're the only ones that needed help, honey. But we begin to have humility and we begin to say, God, I need your help. And we admit it to him and to the people around us. And he meets us. What's favor? Don't, don't get over prosperity gospel kind of stuff on this. Grace, God's unmerited favor is what we're talking about. A grace to do what he has called you to do, to be who he has called you to be. Humility will find favor at the king's table. And we see that with Nehemiah, and I believe we're supposed to understand how it positions us. So position your problems before God, and he will position you with his favor before man. Nehemiah shows us that, lives that, demonstrates that. So church, I want to call us to be a people of humility. It is time for us to bring our God problems to King Jesus and let him renovate our lives. It's time for us to bring those God problems to King Jesus's table and to say, God, have your way, renovate my life. So you think about that and what that means. I wanna show you an image of something. It's a, a piece of artwork. It or originates in Japan. It's called Kintsugi. It's a golden refinery. It, I believe it originated in Japan in the 15th or 16th century. And what's amazing about this is, is artists began taking broken pieces of pot, pottery and clay, and they began taking uh, golden, like a golden material, a liquid that could mend and hold it together. Think of like glue. And they would take the broken piece of pottery and they would use the seams and the golden, you know, material to, to pull it together to be something more beautiful than it was. It's interesting, there's actually uh, scholarship or historians that show that in that 16th century, there were artists being accused of intentionally breaking pottery to make this pottery because this pottery, kintsugi, was more valuable. Isn't that a metaphor for who God is and what he wants to do in our lives? Yeah, you and I got some problems. We've got some brokenness. 
But you need to know that golden seam, that's his grace and favor that wants to knit us together, that wants to bring wholeness, that wants to bring his shalom and peace and healing to our situations. Glenn Packiam is an author and pastor. He says, the end of brokenness is shalom. It is brokenness that opens us to grace and grace that puts us together. The real goal is integration, to be able to hold together every part of who we are and to see it in a new light. The goal is to let the grace of God redeem and restore and repair. He is in the business of renovating us so we can radiate as his masterpieces. So let me ask you a couple questions to close. First, will you dive into this renovate and radiate journey? Grab that series booklet, grab Ramsey Plus, go on the journey, let God be who he wants to be in those spaces that often we keep him out of because of our pride or maybe our laziness. Let God in, let him have his way. Secondly, will you come to the king's table today with all of your God problems? We're gonna receive communion today together. It's the king's table, King Jesus. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to a king, but Jesus is the real king. And that real king invites us to his table. For a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus instituted what's known as the Lord's Supper or communion. When we come to his table, his grace and favor meets us. We receive elements. If you're at home online, you can go and grab yours now. A cracker, some juice. When we come forward in a minute, you'll receive two cups. One cup has the juice. Underneath that cup is a small wafer or cracker. One symbolizes the bread of life, who is, that is Jesus. The bread of life that offered himself on the cross, that died for our sins, that offers us the chance to feed and feast on him every day is the bread of life. And then the juice symbolizes his atoning blood, the covering for our sins. When we receive communion, we're receiving it in the family of God as an act of coming to the table in humility, remembering the favor and grace of God. And I just believe when we get open and honest with him at that table, in these moments, that he's going to see whatever you've been carrying, whatever you've been holding on to, and he's gonna begin to say, I've got an answer for that. I wanna bring healing, I wanna bring freedom, I wanna bring restoration. So I hope that we'll bring all of our God problems to the king's table today, amen? So in a minute, I'm gonna pray over us, but right now I've gotta give you some logistics, and I messed it up really bad in the first service twice. So I'm going to get my notes. It's amazing they let me do the, these logistics. They, they literally put it in writing for me, so I can't mess it up, and I still mess it up. So uh, middle sections, you're going to come this way. Is that right? No. Yes? It is. It is. It's right here, and I, I'm struggling. Middle, you come to the middle, Okay. Then you're gonna come back down the inside aisle to your row. We're moving one row at a time. How many? One, all right. Outside sections, you're gonna to go to the wall, come forward to receive the elements, come back down the inside aisle to your row. You will have plenty of time 
We have a song that our team will lead us in. Thank you for the blood. And as you come to receive the elements, if you need prayer, feel free. We'd love to pray for you. When you get to your seat, wait, because I'll read scripture and lead us through receiving communion together when we've all got the elements. I think I did it. Did I do it? I think I did it. Whew. So this is, this is a sacred and holy moment. I don't want any part of us to, to miss his presence in this. So I'm gonna pray us in. I just wanna encourage you to let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart and mind during this time. We're here to pray for you if you need prayer. Now we'll receive the elements together. Let's bring all of our God problems to the King's table today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you are doing. Father, as we come to your table, we wanna humbly receive and acknowledge what you have done for us. I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to repent, to be renewed by you, and to even rejoice and celebrate what you've done for us. So God, we give you this sacred space just to invite you to work on our hearts and minds. We thank you for your favor and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before